Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Happy New Year, and welcome to 2017's very first episode of In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, along with your host, Kim Bellotto, who's not quite in studio yet, but she'll be here shortly. <laughs> and she probably may break, nah, she won't break any traffic laws getting here, but Kim will be with us shortly. She has caught up, though, with our resident expert, David Blackman, and we're going to join those two right now. Kim? And now, our resident energy and political expert, David Blackman. David, welcome back to the show, our first show of the year. Yes, Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope your uh, holidays were festive and also you received a lot of blessings and, of course, rest. <laughs> it was awesome. Yes, fantastic. Great. Well, you know, like always, there's not a shortage of topics for us to discuss. Um, there's been a lot of activity on both ends from oil and gas. Uh, it looks like uh, we're getting a whole lot of activity, so I want to jump in there. And, of course, there's a whole lot of activity on uh, the political side as well. Um, so some of the things, uh, tell me what your thoughts are. You know, the activity has been just um, exploding on oil and gas. Uh, some major announcements with some of the largest inter- uh, service companies, the energy giants like Halliburton announcing uh, jobs in the Permian Basin, and uh, Baker Hughes now has a new company called uh, BJ Services. Um, where do you see us going with all of this activity and these companies? Well, I, I just think you know we're we're in a in a position now where the the price of oil has has gotten up above fifty and stayed there for a while, and I think uh, the consensus is it's going to stay there for a while longer. And so companies uh, right here at the first of the year are putting their capital budgets in place and, and planning uh, their their drilling opportunities, and and uh, it's a really good time in the industry. Just uh, you know, uh, Halliburton also announced they were hiring up in the Bakken as well as the Permian. And um, I believe if we had almost 80 drilling rigs added to the rig count during the month of December alone, and I suspect suspect we'll see another couple of hundred come online here in the first quarter of this year. So, so it's raining uh, jobs again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not going to be like it was five or six years ago, but uh, at least there are going to be more jobs to, to, to be filled, and, and that's always a great thing for our industry. Right. Now, now, also, not everything has been rosy and peachy king pertaining to the oil and gas sector. We have had some activity out in the Permian Basin uh, with Apache and having some uh, protesters. Tell me a little bit about what's going on out there in that area. Yeah, it's not just Apache. It's also Energy Transfer and their Trans-Pecos line. Uh, the protesters that had been up in uh, in North Dakota, protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline got cold. You know, the cold weather came in, and they decided they were going to go somewhere warmer and decided to come land in West Texas. And uh, so they're uh, planning, I think, to try to disrupt Apache's development of the Alpine High out there near Alpine. And, uh, you know, they've long talked about the Trans-Pecos line that energy transfer has going in. Uh, you know, out, out fairly close to El Paso. And so we're going to see a lot of activity out there in West Texas this year, probably until the summer it gets real hot, and then maybe they'll go back up north and, and bother people in North Dakota again. But uh, 
but it's going to be uh, a lot of activity out there. And uh, I know Apache and Energy Transfer and all the other companies out there are preparing for it. Well, you know what's strange is that, you know, here in Texas, I believe the majority of Texans get how important energy is. Um, it's always been here. It's a way of life, um, and especially in West Texas. So I think what's interesting to me is how they're received out there and how they spin it and how much uh, how how the people that live out there are going to react to having them there and how many people can they really get. Because, you know, West Texas is, is really not a great place as far as it doesn't have this, you know, excellent um, – it's a lot of, of, of raw land, and, and there's not a lot of places to stay and restaurants. It's very rural, if you will. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to that environment as well and how well, long. Exactly, and, and it's not just that, not just the environment, but it's also, you know, they, they had success up in North Dakota installing Dakota Access because the Obama administration, you know, has no respect for the rule of law and didn't make any effort to enforce it. And, uh and uh, they're not going to have that advantage in Texas. These are not federal lands. The federal government has no jurisdiction. Uh, they're going to be dealing with Texas people and Texas law enforcement officers and Texas regulators. And so that's oh, a whole different a thing different than what story. they've been dealing with, with up north. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, I can imagine. Well, I do want to switch gears a little bit. You know, we've had some very interesting things happen um, all through, of course, the holidays. With uh, There's no shortage for discussion pertaining to President-elect Trump and Obama. Uh, first things first is, you know, they, uh, Governor Pence went uh, to uh, Washington today, and so did uh, President Obama, To One was President Obama obviously trying to uh, talk to the Democrats about saving uh, his legacy of the Obamacare disaster, and Governor Pence was on the other end of talking to the Republicans about the first thing we need to do is uh, repeal this and replace it with something that will work properly and and give insurance to all Americans. So there was that today coming out of Congress. Um, What were your thoughts on um, big winners, big losers? Um, Who's, uh, you know, how do you think the Americans are going to respond to both of these? And, And do the Democrats even have a chance of even trying to save Obamacare? No, uh, it will be repealed. The only question is what's going to replace it. I, you know, it's a good day, frankly, uh, for the Republicans, any day that the Democrats in Congress are listening to Barack Obama. Uh, I mean, he has, in eight years, basically destroyed the Democratic Party and turned it into a regional minority party that has no position of power anywhere in the federal government. And um, so, you know, if they're going to... Con- continue taking their cues from President Obama, it's going to be a bad, bad year for them. Um, the Republicans have to answer uh, what the timetable is for repeal and what it's going to be replaced with. You can't just repeal it and have nothing. Um, you can't, it, it, I don't think it's politically viable for them to say, we're just going to repeal it and go back to the way things were, because you do have uh, several million people who have obtained you know, some form of health insurance under the current program. So they're going to have to have a replacement for it. That's why Tom Price is the choice to be Secretary of Health and Human Services, because he has had a plan out there for several years. And, um, you know, I think what you're going to see is, is a repeal that has a timetable for phasing it out, not just a repeal that says, okay, it's all over tomorrow. And right. uh, as that 
timetable phases out, then the new program will phase in over the next two or three years. Right. So Americans are not going to lose their insurance, but all the things that were promised, if you want your doctor, you can keep them, that was not accurate. If you want to keep your health care insurance, that was not accurate. But they will find ways of slowly phasing this out. You know, on another interesting note, though, when we're talking about the Democrats, why are they still listening to the Obama administration that literally just cleaned out the whole entire Democratic Party? Uh, something interesting to me is is these um, this this kicking out of these um, diplomats and um, ambassadors in Russia, and on the the context that Russians meddled in our elections, and yet just this week, President-elect Trump has inquired, okay, let me see what the evidence is so I can take it to the American people. And the CIA has basically said, we need time to get our uh, information together. And then, of course, on, on Friday, they're saying now uh, that, um, that they'll be able to have more discussion with uh, President-elect Trump. To me, that's problematic, David. And it's because how can we kick out ambassadors and diplomats in Russia, which, you know, is a very dangerous thing to be doing, and yet we they can't seem to explain to the new president coming in much, let alone the American people, what was the reason behind this? If it is no, as bad no. as you say it is, if it's as scary as you say it is, and we should be so concerned, what is the big secret of releasing the information, even to the potential president here? Well, yeah, and it wasn't just you know, postponing uh, President-elect Trump. You know, they also refused to brief Congress on this back twice in December. Congress, uh, the Congressional Intelligence Committee, still has not been briefed on any of this, uh, probably because there's no real evidence that the uh, Russians had anything to do with any of it. Uh, I think it's going to be the answer we find out in the end. Um, you know, and oh. it's a very dangerous game to be kicking diplomats out of this country um, and just... I guess they were just uh, relying on uh, Vladimir Putin having a cooler head than President Obama, which he did, as it turned out, thank goodness. And uh, But, boy, this is a very dangerous kind of, of uh, international relations going on here. Well, and with that, David, something tells me that next week when we speak again, we'll have discussions of something else that's happened within one week from when I uh, talk to you again. But. That's exactly. the end of our yeah. time this week, so I look forward to talking to you again next week. As always, David Blackman, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. David Blackman, always great to have you on the show each and every week. We've got Congressman Will Hurd coming up on the other side, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. The Women's Energy Network National Conference is coming up on April 26th through the 28th. This national conference brings together nearly 500 participants from across the country from multiple disciplines in the energy industry. The conference will showcase relevant and timely topics around the theme, energy resilience, refueling innovation, impacting energy professionals in the marketplace and the workplace. This is a great opportunity to connect with experts to increase your knowledge and transform your career while maximizing your contributions at work. The conference will offer a wide range of sessions to reach professionals in varying career stages, including executive-only tracks, continuing education tracks, 
and an exclusive mentoring circle. Companies and organizations in attendance will include FERC, Shell Oil, ComEd, ExxonMobil, Southern Company, Williams, Target Resources, and many more. Be sure to mark your calendars for April 26th through the 28th, 2017 in Houston, Texas at the brand new Marriott Marquis. Registration is coming soon, but you can definitely get details at womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston. Click on the events tab and scroll down to the 2017 WIN National Conference link. Hi, I'm Rita Stitch, Chairman of the Let's Rodeo Ball Committee. I would like to invite you to the upcoming Let's Rodeo Ball. This fundraising event will benefit the San Antonio Livestock Exposition, Inc. Scholarship Fund and will take place on January 21st, 2017 from 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. at the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum in beautiful downtown San Antonio. Our entertainment will be provided by country superstars Gary Allen, Neil McCoy, and up-and-coming country artist Brett Mullins. Tickets and sponsorships are available and include dinner and open bar. So get your tickets now. Please call 210-225-5851 or visit sarodeo.com and click on the Let's Rodeo Ball picture. We hope to see you there. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. And welcome back to this week's In the Oil Patch, where we have U.S. Congressman re-elect Will Hurd in with us. Welcome back to the show, Congressman. It's great to be back. You know, Congressman Hurd, one of the things that um, I felt and truly uh, compelled to do is, is try to tell our listeners via Facebook or the radio show, we've had you on a lot as a guest, how important you really are to making sure that you get reelected or that you got reelected. And some of the reasons why is because you have so much experience in world issues being an XCI agent mm-hmm. and covering a large territory. This is not the kind of uh, seat that we need on the job training. So let's just cover real quick. How large is your district? It's it's very large. It's the largest one in Texas. Um, it's 29 counties. It goes from San Antonio, Texas to El Paso, um, south to, to Eagle Pass. I have a third of the Eagle Ford Shell, half the Permian Basin, 820 miles of the border with Mexico, two time zones, and it takes 10 and a half hours to drive from one corner to the other at 80 miles an hour, which is actually the speed limit in about 75% of the district. So it is, but it's, it's a, it's a great part of the state, everything from Big Bend, um, to the San Antonio missions, to the El Paso missions. Um, and it's a place that we crisscrossed a lot over the last, over the last two years. Now, real quick, your, your first term, you got a lot done. You, you got a lot done. Now, how did you have to educate yourself on some of the different issues, having so much border and, and oil and gas and, and all this different industry? Plus, you've got you've got voters that were from literally both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. that that were your constituents. The the 23rd district of Texas is is really a 50-50 district. 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. And I, and I learned early on that um, do what is right for the district. Tell people what you did and why you did it. And not everyone's going to agree with you, but they're going to at least know where you're coming from. And a lot of the work that we spent time on dealt with the issue of, of national security. And that's my background 
background. That's my passion. That's my experience. Um, you know, when I, I was in the CIA for nine and a half years as an undercover officer, um, two years in D.C. at what I used to call the super secret CIA training facility called the Farm, but now it's on Google Maps. Right? Everything's um, on Google Maps, it, it right? It really is. It really is. And then two years in India, two years in in Pakistan, two years in New York City, and a year and a half in Afghanistan. And then I got out and was in a, a consulting firm. Was a partner in a consulting firm, helped people grow in markets they'd never been in before, and started a cybersecurity company. And so those experiences were were very helpful in a lot of the issues that I deal with in, in Congress. And um, you know, so it, it's been great leveraging that for such a big district. And and look, the the constituents suffered. You know, when you have a seat that turns over every cycle for the last 10 years, um, it's hard to build momentum. Now, we were pretty effective um, in this past really uh, year. I, I think the final tally was we got nine bills uh, signed into law. Which Congressman um, heard that's kind of unheard of in, <laughs> in D.C. It is. There, there's there's some there's uh, uh, some of the folks you know at the Library of Congress and folks that follow this stuff think that we might have been the most effective freshman um, in the history of Congress, and which is pretty cool. But you know the reality is the, the job is to get things done, and you have a great team and, and a lot of issues right here in the 23rd. So it's it's awesome being able to come back um, and continue working. Congressmen have served uh, literally their, their whole career <laughs> and not gotten nine, nine pieces of legislation signed into right. law. So congratulations on that. Yeah, and I'm proud of, of some of the bills. You know, the first one that we, that we got passed um, helped Border Patrol. Um, DHS and in its infinite wisdom was going to change the way Border Patrol agents were paid. And the way they were going to change it was effectively they were going to lose between $700 and $1,000 a pay period, and they get paid every two weeks. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, so Especially we, we when they do to, so much. Absolutely. They're in tough situations, keeping us safe. And so we were able to we were able to sort that out, and and that's something um, that was you know to having so many border patrol agents in my district. So the bills that we did get passed were things that um, have an impact um, on, on the efficiency of the government and on and on people. And we're going to continue to take that same approach. And and we've been able to to use the background experience on issues of importance, um, you know, pro provide context for the rise of ISIS to talk about um, border security and, and how that makes sense. You know, the impact cybersecurity has all on all of us. This is something that I'm the only former member, of con uh, former CIA officer in Congress right now. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. How many are there out there like you? Not so, very so many. So I'm the Zero. third. I'm the third in the history of Congress, wow. um, but I'm the only one right now. Excellent. Well, we need more uh, elected officials to run that have this background because it's so important. And, and I want to switch gears and get into an extremely important topic, which is, um, you know, we recently in the media have heard a lot about Russia and Iran, the sanctions. Um, and there's a whole bunch of war and wartime going on in Syria. There's refugees. It's just a big ball of a mess. And, and quite frankly, there's a lot of confusion going on in the United States with how do we handle this. Obviously, I think that played a large role in who was elected because 
President-elect Donald Trump was really talking about we need to do something before we start looking like other countries. And so when we, I want to talk about, there's been some sanctions that President Obama lifted pertaining to Iran. But first, we need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, along with your host, Kim Bellotto, and our special guest, Congressman Will Hurd. We'll be right back. Join Teak the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, as we travel to the Texas Capitol to support energy and meet with legislators. The energy industry supports our local and national economy, and now we want to support it. Show your support of energy in America by joining us for the Citizens for Energy Day on February 22nd, 2017. To sign up and attend, please visit teak.shalemag.com. That's T-E-A-C dot S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. We'll see you at the Capitol. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy-duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs, and we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can always email me. A Bailey at KaligAuto.com. That's A Bailey, B A I L E Y, at Kalig, K A H L I G, Auto, A U T O.com. I look forward to seeing you down the road. And you're back listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Congressman Will Hurd of the 23rd District. Congressman Hurd, before the break, I asked you a question about the Iran Sanction Act that just passed in Congress. What do you think? with this act being passed, first of all, why did it pass? And what tools will you all be able to use, as well as our new president, Donald Trump, to help with the sanctions that were lifted by the uh, past president, President Obama? Sure, Kim. This this is an important issue. The The issue of Iran is going to continue to drive um, our foreign policy and, and problems in the Middle East. And you can look at a number of the issues that we have um, in that part of the world is because of Iran. And Iran is interested in having a nuclear weapons capability, period. When I was in the CIA, I collected intelligence on the Iranian a nuclear program, and they are trying to build a bomb, and, because, and they're likely to use it. And what was unfortunate about the lifting of the previous sanctions, or what, what most people refer to as the Iran deal, is it dismantled a international... 
um, regime to try to stop the Iranian government from continuing their pursuit of, of nuclear weapons. Now, um, the president, uh, President Obama, was not a, a, a able to get rid of all the sanctions that was was on Iran because Congress had passed some, which would require Congress um, to have have passed to get rid of them. So the the Iran um, Sanctions Act that recently was passed um, continues some of these congressional sanctioned um, um, uh, sanctions on the government of Iran. Now, the Trump administration is going to have to come in and try to figure out how can you rebuild this international re regime to prevent the Iranians from, from developing a, a covert nuclear weapons capability. We have to have aggressive review of the existing bill. Um, and some would already say that the Iranians have violated a number of provisions within the Iran deal. They have violated a number of international agreements at the UN um, already. And so we, we are going to have to um, continue to monitor this, provide evidence of these issues, and then build a coalition of other countries that recognize this problem to possibly put back sanctions. Um, it's, really, it's, it's taken us years, probably a decade, to build the um, the sanction regime that was there, and the fact, and that's why they came. That's why the Iranians came to the bargaining table because sanctions were actually working, and and this is one of those cases where sanctions were working. We had them where we wanted them to be, and and we let them get away with a deal that definitely benefited them more than us. And and I always ask my friends. What did we get out of it? When, when, when the deal was being negotiated, um, I was involved in a briefing with um, Secretary Kerry, um, Secretary of Energy Muniz, and then a representative from the Director of National Intelligence. And when it came my turn to ask questions, I asked, I said, um, Are the, have the Iranians ever lied to or misled the UN Security Council? And the President's President Obama's senior intelligence advisor on Iran said, yes, absolutely, the Iranians have, manip have manipulated the UN Security Council many times. I said, have the Iranians ever lied to or misled the IAEA? That's the International Atomic Energy Association. It's the regulatory, the international regulatory body um, that investigates um, whether a country you know, is violating, violated some of the multinational agreements on nuclear weapons. And the president's senior intelligence advisor on Iran says, yes, they have. I said, right now, today, are the Iranians um, involved in supporting terrorist activity against Americans in Iraq, Syria, Yemen? They said, absolutely. And then my final question was, how good is our intelligence on the plans and intentions of the Iranian government to develop a covert nuclear weapon? And the intelligence advisor says, not very good. And despite all that, we went forward, this administration went forward um, with this deal, which is absolutely crazy. So we'll just give them a big bucket of money and they'll be happy and we'll be happy and everybody wins. Yep. <laughs> they win. We yep. lose. Um, Do you think there's any way to stop them from getting nuclear weapons? Um, just Yes. I, I think the our, our friends, the Israelis, have made it very clear if they believe and they have evidence that the Iranians are close to, to, to developing a the, – having the capability to launch a nuclear weapon, that they will act and that they will do everything they can to dismantle the infrastructure that they have. Well, coming up next, we want to talk about 
the Russia cyber attacks that have been in the news lately. But right now, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch, and we'll be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, and our special guest in studio, Congressman Will Hurd. Congressman re-elect Will Hurd. And Congressman, when we went to break, I mentioned we want to talk about the Russia cyber attacks that have I mean, just dominated the news lately. The uh, the DNC was hacked. The elections were hacked. Give us your thoughts on this. Sure. So the so my, so let me give you some context. My my background is in computer science. When I got out of the CIA, um, I helped start a cybersecurity company. I used to say we all, we broke into banks and stole their money, and we show them how we did it. Right? <laughs> um, and 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 so this is a topic that um, I've been involved in for for a lot in my this adult is a topic life. You're an expert in. Um, I, you know, I'm always care- I'm always uh, careful to throw around the E word, uh, but it's something I, I know I know a, a good deal about. So the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, spent six million dollars trying to defeat me in the 23rd District of Texas. An attack on them is an attack on all of us, and this is this is a serious issue. But we also have to understand that. The Russians did not attack or hack the voting systems that tally the votes. The Russians did not influence uh, the the outcome, right? Because this was the this was the American people. Now, what the Russians did do is they are involved in an information operation. They hacked into these political organizations, used the information that they gained in order to conduct an information operation. Now, um, that is something that should not be tolerated. Um, we know through the Intelligence Committee that it was uh, associated and connected with a number uh, with two groups that are have worked on behalf of the Russian intelligence services. Now, knowing it was groups that are being directed by the Russian intelligence services is one thing. Knowing who decided to do this and what the intents was um, is another question. And these are things that we need to answer. Now, I also think there should be ramifications for this kind of behavior. The Russians have done this in Eastern Europe um, for a number of years. The Russians, the Germans right now, are complaining about Russian involvement trying to do information operations in their elections. Um, we have to have a response res- response to the Russians on this. Now, I think it's something as we should have done something as simple as kicking the Russian ambassador 
out of the country. You know, when other intelligence operations go uh, awry, um, that's something that you do. Um, they're, 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 if we know, if we're able to identify specific individuals, um, then there could be other um, in, in international um, sanctions on those people, uh, legal pressure on those individuals. But also we have to have a, a larger conversation on what is a digital act of war, what is a digital red line, and what should be the appropriate response. During the Cold War, the Russians knew if they did X, Y was going to be our response. If the North Koreans launch a missile into San Francisco, they know how we're going to respond, and we know how we're going to respond. But what is, how do you translate that into the digital world? Right? And these are some of the questions that we haven't answered on a programmatic uh, um, level with across the entire federal government. So we need to in, 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 in continue to understand the specific hack that the Russians were involved on the DCCC, and then we need to be talking about this in a broader sense. But we can also say that the voting machines that count the votes those are very secure. You know, my committee held a hearing on this, um, two hearings on this topic um, before the elections, and we got to make sure that the secretaries of states across all 50 states continue to upgrade their equipment in order to protect against it. And everybody needs to realize that this, this, this hack wasn't a super sophisticated hack. It wasn't what, what in the business is called a zero day. A zero day is an exploit in a software or a configuration of a network that nobody else has ever seen before. This is, these attacks have been things that could have been stopped by patching your uh, software, by making sure the configuration of the boxes and the widgets on your network are configured properly. So everybody needs to recognize that following the, 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 the basic you know, best practices of good digital system hygiene could prevent many of these kinds of things from happening. Like an open network or you know, something that doesn't require a password to get onto uh, the or network. Or a very simple password in the case of, of John Podesta. He had a very easy uh, accessible password, which kind of left him vulnerable as well. Look, it, it, the number one password still in the world is password one, two, three, four. I better change mine. <laughs> well, you know, everybody in the room, Congressman, is aware of what the Cold War was, and we can remember living through part of it. Do we consider Russia an up-and-coming ally to the United States? What What is our relationship with Russia? Um, I, I think Russia is still an adversary. Um, they're an adversary. In, look, they're in Syria, partially in order to get access to a to a. Um, Air Force Base in southern Syria. That has allowed them to project power in the Mediterranean. They have changed the commercial shipping routes um, within the Mediterranean because they have access to that base. The reason they went into the Ukraine was in order to project power in the North Atlantic and to con try to control parts of the straits that go up to the Arctic because of energy issues. Um, they have done things with Eastern European allies, by preventing selling them energy in order to get better access to rare earth mineral mines. Um, the, the Russians are an adversary, and I believe we should be thinking of them this way. Um, I think the Obama administration made a mistake thinking that back in 2008, 
that he could have had a reset with uh, Vladimir Putin, and we all see how that has ended up. And so I, I learned something in my in my days in the CIA. Um, you be tough with tough guys and nice with nice guys. And Vladimir Putin is a tough guy, and I do believe that we should be tougher. And, and we have a real opportunity. When we lifted the ban on exporting crude, which nobody thought we were going to be able to do, we should be actively trying to negotiate agreements with Eastern Europe to sell them crude, because that means they don't have to buy it from Russia. And we all know Russia's economy is more tied to the price of a barrel of oil than anybody else's. And now is the time that we have the advantage. And because of the production that's going on in places like South and West Texas, that we have a real tool to put Vladimir Putin in a box and make sure he is a, a responsible actor. Yes. Make him behave. We have to take a quick break, Congressman Hurt, but when we get back, I do want to talk a little bit more on the lifting of and repealing the ban and how will that uh, impact this new administration coming in and talk a little bit about his selection of some of his uh, top cabinet uh, selection. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Join the San Antonio Energy Coalition for the 10th Annual Coalition Blowout on January 28, 2017 at the Alzafar Shrine. The event will feature live music from Cactus Country, an incredible pork tenderloin dinner sponsored by SPN Well Services, and lots of laughs, new and old friends, all while raising money for scholarships. Once again, the event is on January 28, 2017, starts at 6 p.m. with a cocktail hour, followed by the pork tenderloin dinner at 7 p.m. at the Alzafar Shrine, located at 901 North Loop 1604 West in San Antonio, Texas. Get your tickets at coalitionblowout.com. That's coalitionblowout.com. We'll see you on the 28th. Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. And you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Congressman Will Hurd of the 23rd District here in Texas. Congressman Hurd, uh, what are some of the key things that you, that you hope that you see the Congress or the President working towards pertaining to Russia and, and kind of keeping them in a little box somewhere and, and really exploring how we can grow our international footprint into exporting natural gas and oil? Well, it starts with taking advantage of what we did this year in Congress and, and lifting the ban on exporting crude. In a lot of countries, um, energy contracts are negotiated government to government. And um, President Obama's Commerce Depart- Department was not as aggressive as I think they could have been. So I think this is a real opportunity in the next um, administration to do that. With a guy like Rex Tillerson, who is the Secretary of State elect, you know, former um, Exxon um, ex- ex- executive, I think he understands um, this 
this particular unique opportunity that we do have. And so um, that, coupled with the new Secretary of Commerce, I think we have, we have a real opportunity. And Eastern Europeans want to purchase energy from the United States. And it's good for our companies that are already, that are already involved in, in this area. And so those are, those are some quick things. The, the regulatory environment, um, a lot of activity from, in Congress over the last eight years has been legislation to push back against executive overreach um, by, by the Obama administration. That changes immediately on January 21st um, because a lot of you know the waters of the U.S., WOTUS, which a lot of us heard, and the way I like to explain that to people, yes, it has an impact on an energy company, it has an impact on farmers and ranchers, but if you go into Applebee's and you want an eight-ounce, do you want an eight-ounce hamburger or do you want a six-ounce hamburger for the same price? All right. And an implementation of Lotus would have given you a six ounce hamburger for the eight ounce price, right? It's it's things like that 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 with a new um, administration, those those regulations are going to get pulled back, and that's going to allow us to continue um, our, our economy to grow, especially in the in the energy sector. So these are a couple of of, of things that are going to be helpful with uh, Governor Perry, or I guess I should say soon to be Secretary Perry, um, as at the helm of energy, having a Texan. Um, he understands um, the energy sector from his time here in 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 Texas. And I think that he's going to be another advocate um, for for you know making sure that our energy sector continues to be strong and continues to drive um, our economic advance. What are your thoughts on the head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt? He's the uh, AG coming out of Oklahoma. I, I don't know him well, but but I do know he's not going to be as aggressive at this as this last um, head of EPA, and that the EPA um, is not going to be as um, trying to create legislation um, as this current EPA has. You know, con- as Congress's role is to is to pass legislation, and it's up to the executive branch to implement um, those that legislation. So I, I think he's going to be in that same frame of mind as President-elect Trump that you should not have the regulatory agencies um, deciding who winners and losers are. And I think that's going to be a good thing for our economy. Well, we've had eight years of, and, and maybe more of, of the fourth branch just with their, their hands around the throats of the American economy. And, you know, a little bit of let's take a step back, let's take a breath, let's take a look at some of these things, and, and let's let businesses do business. I, I think that's, that's exciting. It is, and and but we also got to make sure that the new administration doesn't follow the executive overreach as previous administrations, and so so Congress can also do a better job in passing more narrowly defined pieces of legislation. Because here's what happens: we pass a very broad piece of of of, of laws, and then the executive branch has to interpret. That law, and they go through a rulemaking process, and in that process is when you have the executive branch actually making law. So let's 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 pass more specific legislation, so it's not subject to interpretation, and um, we'll be a lot, a lot better off. I want to talk about what you're doing here locally, the the new computer science for middle schools in SA. Let's talk about that. You know, I my degree is in computer science. 
coding is is the the is the is the language of the future, and we need to make sure our kids are have been exposed to this at a young age. Just in Texas alone, last year, forty two thousand computing jobs went unfilled, and the average salary there is about eighty nine thousand dollars. And so, what we're doing is we were able to partner with UT Austin, the STEM, um, the Center for STEM Education, and a nonprofit out of Rhode Island that is that is training math teachers in middle school how to introduce coding into their classroom and into their math and in, in, um, in curriculum, which is fantastic. So we um, there are some corporate sponsors. We're going to be able. The first running is going to be for forty um, middle school math teachers. Which you know, if you say twenty five students a year, they uh, twenty five students um, a class, uh, five classes. That's about five thousand kids that are going to get exposed to in in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade um, to coding, and that's really exciting. And and I think this is a this is a first step in a broader um, initiative to make sure more kids are exposed to that. Well, Congressman Hurd, as always, it's a pleasure to have you come into the studio, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in D.C. land. Thank you for coming. Now, I'd so, like to get you in here for a whole day and, and just, you know, you could just be in the oil patch for, for the whole year. Right. No, well, it's, I, it's always a pleasure having you here. Well, thank, uh, thanks for the invitation. It's always great to be here. Well, Kim, we've come to that time in the show where it's you know what time it is? It's trivia time. Exactly. It's trivia time. And what is our trivia question going to be this week? Our trivia question is Congressman Hurd talked about the three appointments that President-elect is going to nominate. Name any one of the three that we talked about today. Kim, that's a great question. And I'm, you know, looking back through my notes to see if I can figure out which one of those were. So maybe I can win the $75 Fogo to Chow gift uh, certificate. Not I, I can't win, though. Hey, be the first correct emailer to radio at shalemag.com. Again, radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Give us a correct answer. Pick one of the three and, and be correct in that answer, and you'll win that $75 gift certificate to Fogo to Chow. And, Kim, I think that's about going to wrap it this week. Be sure and like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash in the oil patch radio show twitter at shale mag and until next week adios in the oil patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas business and in your community every week our host kim Bellotto, along with me alvin bailey will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch